Faith for Today with Colin Urquhart and Julia Fisher. We're exploring what the church really is, how God intended it to be. And yesterday we were looking at the early church and you outlined the four principles by which they lived, the final one that they were devoted to prayer. So I guess that begs the question, Colin, that here were these Christians. The church was growing exponentially so fast. As you mentioned, 3,000 joined the church. And one day, we read in the Acts of the Apostles, the early church was not confined by a structure. No, and of course, we've got to remember that these were ordinary folks who were doing their daily jobs, looking after their families and everything else. But uh, they realized it was so important what God had done in their lives that, yes, they met together daily. They were really devoted to one another, devoted to sharing their lives together. None amongst them had any need um, that they shared uh, whatever wealth and and um, finances they had. Uh, it, it was really God's alternative society. And that is what the church is supposed to be. Now, if you contrast what we see as the church now a series of services for many, in, in many places. I mean, what is their involvement with church? A service on a Sunday morning. I mean, it is so far removed from what we read in the Acts of the Apostles. You wonder, if, well, is it, is it the same religion even? Um, how can we identify what we do now um, or relate it to what we read about in Scripture? Just, it, it's just at a totally different level in Scripture. And if you take um, uh, the analogies that are used, first by Jesus, I am the true vine, you are the branches, um, that when we become believers, when we are baptized, we are incorporated into Christ, we become uh, branches of the true vine. Now, there's only one true vine. He's not talking about vines. So any local church has to be a true expression of the one true vine of Jesus. And therefore, the members of that church have been incorporated into the vine. Now, every branch is to bear fruit. The fruitless branches are cut out of the vine, put into a pile and burned, says Jesus. So the purpose of being incorporated into the church is not that you're just a member, not that you're just there at a service, not that you say, well, I'm all right, my eternal destiny is secured, I shall go to heaven when I die. No, the purpose of being part of the church is to bear fruit for the glory of God. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Now, the commission that Jesus gave to his church, gave to those apostles who were to be the first leaders of the church before he returned to heaven, was to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So what is the church? The church is to be a group of people who are living as disciples. What does that mean? They do the same things that those first disciples did. They obey everything that Jesus told those first disciples to do. So they're to love one another as he's loved them and, and so on. Uh, they are to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Um, they are uh, all the time to be reaching out with the life, the love, and the power of God's kingdom. 
so they are a body of people set apart by God for his purposes. Now, I can understand that a number of people listening are probably beginning to get concerned and say, well, uh, my local church is not like that. To which there's a simple question in reply, why not? I mean, what is the leadership of your church doing so that your congregation becomes what God intends it to be? Now, don't tell me that cannot happen in denominations because in 1970, my Anglican church became a true expression of the body of Christ, a people that were full of the life and the power of God's Spirit, who were reaching out into the world, who became such a witness that people were literally coming from all over the world to see what God was doing there. A church that experienced revival. Now that was an Anglican church on a council housing estate on an industrial town, in an industrial town in this country. So don't tell me that it is impossible for the church today to become what God intends it to be. What was the key that sparked that revival then? The very things that I mentioned on Monday. Everybody in that congregation came to a fresh repentance, not just forgiveness of sins, but a yielding of every aspect of their lives to God. They became true believers in the sense that not only did they believe what Jesus had done for them on the cross and through his resurrection, but they uh, also received the life and power of the Holy Spirit that enabled them to live lives of faith, to see people being healed, miracles happening as a natural course of events every day, people, seeing people saved every day, not just on Sundays, because these things were happening all the way through the week, through the witness of the people, wherever they were. So, uh, you know, it's... It, wherever the Holy Spirit is allowed to have freedom, he will cause the church to become what God wants it to be because there's no way in which we can be church without the Holy Spirit. Uh, and it, it isn't when, when Jesus says, you know, that the apostles are to teach the disciples that they make to obey everything that he commanded them. He's not talking about some legalistic denominational system. He's talking about a people of genuine faith, a people who have received the Holy Spirit, a people who are living in the power of the Spirit and who are doing the works of the Spirit, the works that Jesus said they would do. Because Jesus said, anyone who believes in me will do what I have been doing and greater things still will he do because I go to the Father. So God's intention is for his church to be continuing the ministry that Jesus performed in the world. That's what every church should be about. Well, we are preaching what Jesus preached. We're not preaching some modern um, sort of castrated gospel. I think that's the only way I can say where you have ripped out essential elements of the, of, of the truth. But you're preaching the whole counsel of God. You are seeing the power of God. You're witnessing people being healed, seeing the grace of God, the miracles, the favor of God upon his people. This is God's purpose, and where the Spirit is given freedom, that is what he will create among God's people today.
So if there is only one true church in the eyes of God, there's only one Holy Spirit, why is it, Colin, that even here in the UK, let's just talk about the UK, there are so many different expressions of that, so many different denominations and so many divisions? Well, I mean, there's uh, that's a big question because there's a historic answer that historically the church has gone so wrong so many times in so many ways that we have today the legacy of the failure of the past. At the same time, um, we're dealing with human beings, none of whom is perfect or has a perfect grasp of the truth. And so there would be many who conscientiously believe that they belong to a church that is as true an expression of the New Testament as you can find. But what, what, you, what you find is most of the denominations came into existence because at the time when they began, a certain truth needed to be restored to the church. For example? Well, for example, um, Baptists. Now, Baptists believe in um, believers' baptism that uh, that's the only right and valid form of baptism. But you see, that came out of a time when there was widespread so-called infant baptism, which they could see was not biblical, and that there were many people that were living in false hope. They thought they were saved. They thought that they were going to go to heaven, but they'd never repented of their sins. They, they had... Um, uh, there was no real genuine personal faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord, and um, neither was there evidence of the Holy Spirit operating in their lives. So it was a correction to those times. You could say that the whole of the Reformation was a correction. But even the early Reformers like Luther, they compromised on certain things because they were trying to take the church with them, and they realized that there were certain things that uh, you know, nobody would listen to them. If, for example, Luther never really addressed the business of infant baptism um, and, and tried to justify it because it would have been such a contentious issue to say to everybody, look, you're not, you think you're part of the church, but you're not. He was much more concerned, the reformers were much more concerned to preach justification by faith, that you need personal faith, just like the Baptists were saying, you need um, baptism, you know, as a believer, so the other denominations that came out of the Reformation were all emphasizing this personal faith. And we saw on Monday that it's essential to have repentance, this personal faith, this um, baptism in water, and the gift of the Holy Spirit in your life. So all these things. Now, what, what has happened is that these churches have continued their particular emphasis. And, and the trouble is this, when you emphasize one thing, you can lose sight of other aspects of the truth. And all the way through my ministry, what I've fought for and what we seek to express in Kingdom Faith Church is the whole counsel of God. So we recognize as our brothers and sisters in Christ anyone who has been born again and has received the Holy Spirit, no matter what denomination they're in, what church they belong to, they are our brothers and sisters. We are one with them. We may differ on some points of doctrine, but the life that we have in Christ is what unites us, and that is far more important than any differences we may have. 
You've been listening to Faith for Today, presented by Julia Fisher. This program is sponsored by Kingdom Faith. For further information, visit our website, kingdomfaith.com. 